Can we pray one more time? Heavenly Father, um, we love You and we love Your Word and we pray that You would bless the reading of it and our understanding. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's uh, start in Psalm chapter 33. We'll start in verse 1, although we're going to be looking at the second half of the psalm. Let's read all of it. Psalm 33, starting in verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My wife Tammy makes fun of me because uh, I frequently have dreams uh, where there's a bad guy and there's some kind of bad scenario and uh, I'm constantly saving the day. You know, the terrorist comes in, and I do one of these no-type things, and I take the bullet, you know, and, uh, and I save the day. Uh, but uh, I will also tell you, and you, those, are, those are not enjoyable dreams. They're, they're nightmarish dreams, and yet I'm still kind of saving the day. But uh, every once in a while, I'll have one of those dreams, and it'll be a very frustrating feeling because there's a bad guy. He's on top of me. He's trying to get me with a knife, and uh, I'm trying to fight back. And all my punches have no power. You ever have that feeling where you're trying to punch back and you're like, and you just, you're trying with all your might, but it's just not working. Of course, my fail safe is I just wake up. Uh, that's my, my ace in the hole. But uh, my, my point in, uh, in, in choosing that to open is, ladies and gentlemen, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation provided uh, through and by him, outside of that, The things we surmise, even assume, will protect us. 
will, will fail us right at the point where we need them the most. The things that we hold in highest regard, the things that we, we, we put up around us as protection, it, in times of greatest need, turn into nothing but these feathery uh, punches that can do no good. Well, like I say, we're going to be looking at the second half of the psalm, uh, really verse, uh, verse 12 and following. Uh, but uh, it's important to be mindful of the framework. Uh, structurally, you see that uh, in the first three verses, uh, we have a call to God's people uh, to praise Him. Sing joyfully to the Lord. It is fitting for us to praise Him. Praise Him with the harp, the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Uh, play skillfully and shout for joy. And we're not going to talk about worship or anything like that, except I, I did run across one really kind of funny quote. Uh, this one guy says, you know, you've got sing to the Lord a new song, play skillfully, shout for joy. He says, uh, that is freshness, skill, and fervor, three qualities rarely found together in religious music. Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny as we were looking at it. But that's, not, that's just a bonus point. But uh, to put us in context, to put us in context, the first three verses call the people of God to praise Him. It is a fitting thing to do to sing and play skillfully and to do so with fervor and so on. The last three verses are an expression of those same people to put our hope in Him and to believe on Him and to rely on Him. And we'll come back to that, that kind of connecting thought as we get uh, near the end of this message. Observe that in verse 4 and 5, there are these sweeping expressions of the character of God. Look at it, verse 4. The word of the Lord is... Right. The word of the Lord is true because the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Verse five, the Lord loves righteousness. The Lord loves justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. We see that the righteous and true and faithful and just and unchanging and steadfastly loving character of God underpins everything in creation. You see that it goes on to talk about the starry host and the waters of the deep put in storehouses uh, and, and, and God's creation. You see that His very nature underpins everything in creation and certainly uh, in the world. And that's a word of hope for us, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we live in a world that is sullied. It's true. We live in a world that is tainted, full of sin. We live in a world that is tarnished. Even the ground is cursed, the Bible tells us. And yet, even though things are not the way they're supposed to be, and yet, the righteousness and justice and purpose of, of an ultimate good and an ultimate God underpins all that is seen and unseen. You look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts it deep in the star, uh, storehouses and so on. God's very perfect and righteous nature underpins everything that has been made. Now, I ask you this question. What is a beatitude? You know, in Matthew 5, we have the beatitudes. What is a beatitude? It is a blessing. It is a, it is a series of blessings, these beatitudes. Uh, blessed is the man who this. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man, and so on. Well, there are beatitudes in the Psalms, too. They are expressed. They, they are uh, distinct statements of blessing. Now, where do we find the very first beatitude in the Psalms? Chapter 1, verse 1. Look at it. Chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed. These are, these are distinct statements. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. You see kind of a crescendo of meaning there. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Look at chapter 2 of the Psalms, uh, verse 12. The very last, the very last line. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Uh, in fact, look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Contrasting, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Now, you know, we've got a little dog named uh, Mary. And uh, Mary, she's a lassipoo. And... Uh, little thing that Mary does, I'll pick her up and I'll kind of just pet her little uh, head. It's kind of an embarrassing dog to have, but I'll, I'll kind of, I do really do love it. And I'll, I'll pre- pet her and she'll do this little thing that I like. She'll take her head and she'll just pre- just press it against my chest. She just just holds it there. And I was, I was reading this verse. I was thinking, you know, this applies to my dog. Um, she better serve me with fear. I want that tail wagging with, with at least a little bit of trembling. Uh, lest I be angry. She knows she may be destroyed in my uh, way. My, my wrath can flare up in a moment. She would be wise to heed my counsel. And yet she would be wiser still, even blessed, to take refuge in me. She's at her wisest when she's pressing her head against my chest. Let me show you another beatitude here. Flip ahead to chapter 32. Just one before our text here. Uh, Verse 1. Chapter 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And then you notice that there's a statement about confession and, uh, and God's uh, forgiving transgression, uh, transgression and, and forgiving uh, the guilt of sin. Well, here we are in chapter 33, verse 12, and we have another beatitude. The next beatitude found in the Psalms, which is chapter 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Now... Don't fall into the Western trap and you you hear somebody go, oh, here's the message today. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And immediately we start going, keep reading, that's good. That's not the point. This is not a verse about the United States of America. The unfailing love with which the earth is full, we read in verse 5, the earth is full of his unfailing love, uh, is the same unfailing love and beauty of purpose we see in God singling out for himself a nation. This is an explicit reference to the nation Israel. It cannot be, uh, it cannot be interpreted as anything else. Blesses is a nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Okay, we know what that is. But it is through Israel and the Savior that is produced from her that we are afforded forgiveness of sin and the covering of our transgression and the, the uh, communing with our God and the hope and safety found uh, therein. Um, keep your finger where you are and flip ahead to Galatians, please, chapter 3. 
Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, uh, we can note the words of the Apostle Paul concerning uh, God's special people and, uh, and uh, his inheritance. Uh, chapter 3, verse 26 of Galatians, Paul writes, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When we read things in the Old Testament about... Um, uh, the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. Of course, that's a reference to Israel. But you see that there are inclusive overtones that ought to resonate in our hearts. We read things like that. We oughtn't think, oh, yes, isn't that a wonderful thought? We ought to go, ah, that, that applies to me, the redeemed person. Abraham's seed, blessed, blessed am I. From heaven, the Lord looks down. He sees me. He's got plans for me. His unfailing love is poured out for me. There are overtones that can, that can make our, our, our hearts leap because when we read stuff like that, we can joy in, in statements of the redemptive handiwork of God. Now, from here in, uh, in uh, uh, Psalm 33, uh, I, I want to make three uh, notes and then uh, we'll, we'll move on to the end. Um, Point number one is this. We see, I think, in verses uh, 13 through 15, we see the God who knows all things. Look at it. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From His dwelling place, He watches all who live on earth. He forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. Now, you know that in, in the Bible, there are these things called parallelisms where, where uh, things are put kind of side to side uh, on top of one another to, to kind of emphasize a point, okay? And you also know that a tool in the Bible uh, uh, frequently uses the repetition of things like Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you, okay? That's to make a point uh, uh, more pronounced. Uh, you would know uh, this holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, that is put there three times to, to emphasize. Uh, in fact, it's the only time when you see that in the Bible. But I say that to say this. In, in Hebrew poetry, when you, see, when you see things that seem to repeat themselves, it's not just there as some little exercise or, or, or a tool like verily, verily. Look at verse 13. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Okay? From his dwelling place, okay, that's the same thing as heaven, right? From heaven, from his dwelling place, uh, you see the Lord looks down, he watches. That looks like it's the same thing. He sees all mankind. He sees all who live on the earth. You see how, you see how those, the, those chunks of verses seem to, to parallel one another? But here's the thing we need to remember. When you see that kind of stuff in the Bible, it's not just saying the same thing a couple of times and, uh, hey, by the way, the Lord looks down and sees everything. And but further, the Lord looks down and sees everything. Rather, it's like a crescendo in music. It's like an augmentation of meaning. You see, uh, from heaven, the Lord looks down. Uh, a, a, uh, a fuller meaning of that, that idea is that He perceives and He considers. Okay? From heaven, the Lord looks down. He perceives. He considers. He sees all mankind. He observes them. All right? But in verse 14, it says, From His dwelling place, He watches all who live on the earth. 
Right? You have mankind. You have all who live on the earth. But, you know, in verse 13, he looks down. He kind of perceives. All right? But in verse 14, from his dwelling place, he watches. Now, the, the, the fuller meaning of that is, is, is a lot like the word peep. Now, what does a peeping Tom do? I mean, he just doesn't sneak up to the window and go, Oh, a lady. Well, that's wonderful. And move on his way. What does a peeping Tom do? I mean, he... You know, I mean... Demented, and, he, and he, he wants to get an eyeful. You know, he he he, he uh, keenly gazes. Well, that's the idea. I mean, forget the disgusting. Uh, try to remove the disgusting thought from your mind, and see that you have you have a deeper meaning here. You've got from heaven the Lord looks down. He observes man. Yes, mankind. Uh, indeed, he keenly gazes. I mean, he 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 keenly looks at what has been made. All everything that's been made. This is the God who sees, ladies and gentlemen. Now, that is not a comfort to those who are outside of grace. In fact, it should be terrifying. One cannot indifferently drive down the road and listen to the radio. God is watching us. God is watching us. That's not a lovely thought. That's a scary thought. When the holy God peers down, he just doesn't look at creation and go, oh yeah, that's just wonderful. You sent a Mother's Day card this year? That's fabulous. What a fine guy. Rather, he peers into the heart and he explores and he sees the dark recesses. This is the God who sees creation. You know, uh, we, we got our uh, uh, latest Time magazine in the mail yesterday. You know what's on the cover? DNA. Breaking the code. Unlocking DNA. Well, guess what? That ain't locked up. <laughs> and the code doesn't need to be broken. It's known. We're the ones that are... We, we think we're discovering. We're not discovering. It's already there. The information is well known by God. And I say this, that if the God who spun this uh, uh, galaxy into place understands the minutia of what has been made, what do you think he, what do you think he discerns about our own hearts? This is the God who sees all of mankind, indeed, all who live on the earth. Look at verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength that cannot, it cannot save. Now, that's, that's scary terminology, ladies and gentlemen, because if you've got a God that peers into hearts and sees... In a salvific sense. No king is saved by the size of his army. No person is made right by the, the efforts of their own righteousness or whatever they might have in their own storehouses. That's a scary message, friends. What hope could there possibly be? Well, here's my second point. We've got a God who saves. You know, if you look at verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. Well, the, the, the implication is that something does save. Something or someone does have the ability to save. Not the size of an army, not a warrior's strength, not a horse or any kind of other weapon or vehicle. Someone is a savior. Um, I, I read this quote by a guy named uh, Alexander McLaren. Uh, he, said, he said, listen to this, hands lifted empty to heaven in longing trust will never drop empty and hang listless without a blessing in their grasp. Isn't that a good quote? Yeah. Hands that are full of trust 
not without doubt, not, not with doubt, not double-minded, but hands that are empty, lifted up in trust, will never drop without a blessing in their grasp. Now, that, that's got nothing to do in his mind with salvation. I plucked that quote from some other place and stuck it in here. And I, I say that it can be applied to, to the gospel of salvation. The, the person who understands their moral bankruptcy, the person who understands that they've got nothing, the person who has come to terms with the fact that they feel shame in their heart, that validates what the Bible says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. If you've ever felt ashamed for anything you've ever said or done, that validates what the Bible teaches about sin. That also puts a breach between you and a God who is utterly pure. The gospel message is, however, the Lord Jesus Christ paid a debt you couldn't pay. He lived out a righteousness you couldn't live. And the believing person, the person who comes and says, oh, I see that Christ is the substitute. He's the one who, who went to jail for me. He's the one who was punished for me. He's the one who shed his blood, who died for me. I put my faith in him alone. You raise your empty hands up in that respect. They're not going to drop empty. You will be eternally blessed. That is the gospel message, ladies and gentlemen. I think we have a portrait here of a God who saves i got another point. A God who cares. Look at verse 18. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Now, that's a different kind of looking. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. In other words... God's, God's favorable eyes, God's favorable interest, God's care, His, His providential concern. It's on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. Now, hold that thought for a second. I want to show you something that's just glorious. Uh, keep your finger there and go right to Isaiah 6. This made me cry in my office. Isaiah 6, verse 3. You know that this is a, this is a glorious uh, heavenly uh, picture here. Uh, the seraphim, uh, in verse 3, they're, they're in, the, in the presence of the Lord and they are calling to one another. Okay, And really stop and think about that for a second. You know, we think, uh, we think about uh, eternity and... Uh, and uh, will it be boring? And will we? I mean, if they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty uh, over and over, does God have some kind of ego problem uh, where he has to create these creatures that say this all the time? Like a, like a CD that's stuck? Is that, is that what God is? Is that a problem God has? Or do these beings, without the streaks of sin, without the, the clouds in front of their, their vision, do they just get it? Do they behold the glory of God and His majesty and just go, holy, holy, holy. And they collect themselves up and they, and they behold His infinite glory again and they say, holy, holy, holy. I think they just get it. But what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, go back to Psalm 33. 
Verse 5. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Well, that sounds very much like a God who's holy, doesn't it? But what does the psalmist say in Psalm 33? Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Oh, the seraphim, they say, oh, the whole earth is full of His glory. The psalmist says, the earth is full of His unfailing love. That's the message of the God of grace. Look at verse 18. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. That is the only place in which we may find our hope, friends. You, know, you think of America right this minute. Laser-guided bombs, satellites, Patriot missiles, an unsurpassed military. military. Um, I'm all, that's great. I'm glad, aren't you? I'm glad we have an unsurpassed military. military. Uh, and yet, ladies and gentlemen... In a biblical sense, they're nothing. I mean, I'm thankful for them. They're a reality. We're the, we're the greatest military in the whole world. I'm grateful that we are. I'm grateful that God caused us to be born in this day and age. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is very clear. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength that cannot save. Put the national concerns aside. What about you and me? You think about it. I, uh, I'm glad that you have money in the bank. And I'm glad that you have health. I'm glad that you have family that loves you. I, I'm glad that you've got uh, a boat. Have us out, you know? I'm glad. I'm rooting you on. Glad you have a sharp mind. Glad you have shelter with hardwood floors and Berber carpeting. It's great. I'm glad. But you know what the Bible says? Verse 17, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. You know, one of the things I love about that is, um, you know, obviously we're not, nobody rode a horse to church tonight. But that simple, timeless expression is something that is very easy to comprehend, isn't it? You know, when, you, when the Bible puts something in, in, in there like this, you could almost take the word horse and write in whatever you want. You know, my sharp, keen mind is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength that cannot save. My good name and reputation, all I've worked hard for in business, is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength that cannot save. My strong marriage, which I treasure is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength that cannot save. You could put anything you want in there because anything except the Lord will fail you. Anything but Him, anything but Him in the moment of greatest need will, will turn out to be nothing but feather punches that can do you no good. You know, in, uh, in verses 1 and 2 of this passage, we have... Um, Statements of instruction. 
And uh, it goes on in verse 4 uh, through 11, and you've got statements about uh, God's nature and how he operates and so on. In verses uh, 12 uh, through 19, you have uh, this blessing, and, and it's really a qualified blessing and so on. Uh, in verses 20 and 21, we'll look at now, you have a confession of faith, don't you? Verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. You notice that you have, you have statements, statements. Now, it, it changes. We wait in the hope for the Lord. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. It's personalized. In Him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Now listen to verse 22. May your unfailing love... Where do we see that? May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Now, I want to read you another version of it. And really, this is a parallelism that... Uh, that uh, this is the Jerusalem Bible. This is, this is wonderful. Watch this. Yahweh, let your... Watch this. Let your... Oh, love rest on us. Okay, that's the first part of the verse. Second part of the verse... As our hope rests on you. Ah, in you. Now that is a beautiful sight, my friends. That is a a splendid parallelism. Yahweh. Sorry. Yahweh. Let your love rest on us as our hope. And here's, here's, here's what it is. Rests. That, that's, the, that's the arrangement. That, that's the relationship. You know, we, we rest in Him. We rest. We hope in His unfailing love. And what happens? He rests on us. It's a splendid thing. It's a portrait of grace. It's the gospel message. His love rests on us. And we, in turn, can press our heads against His bosom. I close with this. Um, We had a little kid over to our house last week. I don't think his father's here right now. He's not. Well, he's 10 years old. Can we play chess? Yeah, sure. Well, I got killed, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I can only think one move ahead. I, I, I sit there and I look at the chessboard and I think, if I move this here, then he's probably going to do that. And that's as far as my brain goes. And uh, this, this kid was just running me all over the board. And, uh, you know, finally I was down to just my king. And he finally said, you can't win. And uh, I lost. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, when I play chess, really, truly, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm reliant only upon the other player's ineptitude. And I just hope it's greater than my own. (laughs) We do that in all kinds of situations. We do that in matters of trust. We do that in our dealings with God. We do that in in transactions of the heart. We do that with one another. We're moving our chess pieces around. We're plotting our strategies. We think that we're getting a hold of the board. This might be a weak illustration, but let me tell you. 
you can't beat the king. You can't, you can't put the king in check when you're playing the king. The king wins. The one true God isn't impressed with all of our little posturing and our, and our movements and our, our great armies and, and all the things that we have protected ourselves with. He's not interested in it. He sees, he sees the outcome. He would, he would scoff in heaven over these things. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole earth is full of God's glory, the heavenly beings would say. And we get to say, with the psalmist, the earth is full of His unfailing love. We can say, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. And we can say in verse 22, May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. The glory of the Lord, who is holy, 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 ladies and gentlemen, comes into, into sharper focus in His mercy and His grace. And that, my friends, is the only message in which we can ever find authentic safety and rest. So let's pray. Our Father, it does thrill our hearts to, to, to read things in Your Word and have those things illumined by Your Holy Spirit that would show us something of who You are and the way You operate. We, we joy in the fact that You are faithful and that You are just and true. We joy and glory in the fact that You are holy, holy, holy. And we bless You and thank You that You're a God of mercy and grace who would show unfailing love to those who didn't deserve it and keep those same people in your unfailing love forever and ever. Our prayer is, Lord, that um, true things would cling to us uh, and uh, folly would leave us. Uh, we pray that we would walk out of here a little more encouraged having seen something of your nature and have found out something about uh, our high place in our Savior and Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.